I'm Coach Tarek. And I'm Vanessa. We are your movement experts and we are here to educate health and fitness professionals with the tools to create real change for and within the industry. Hello and welcome to another episode of Purpose Driven Movement Podcast. I am your co-host, but your host for today, Vanessa. I wanted to say Happy New Year as we join you for our first episode in 2024. Thank you so much for your support in 2023 with our first year, which is better than we had thought we were going to do. And that's all because of you listeners. And as an individual listener to many podcasts, I know that it can really transform your day. It can really open your mind. It can really shift your mindset and your focus. And I'm really grateful that you are here to be a part of this. And today I get to reflect on a conversation that I had. We're talking to Nadia Norman, who specializes in training for women and training for women in performance. We've talked to a few guests about pre and postnatal, and we go into that kind of subject a little bit earlier on if you wanted to go back to some previous episodes. But I think that this is a really interesting topic that many of us will really love and really enjoy today. Nadia's passion really comes out in what she says, and I'm lucky to have known her for quite a while now. She was one of the first presenters and educators in the industry who kind of took me under her wing and said, go for it. You can do it. You're way more capable than you think. And I'm forever grateful for her words of wisdom and encouragement to get to where I am today. So with those words, here are some words from us, from PDM to you, trying to help you remember that these podcasts are designed to encourage you, to inspire you, to bring you to a place of openness and shared knowledge in the industry that I've been lucky enough to be in for over 15 years, I've hoped to accumulate. And it really is up to you. So please share away tag us in your social media, we'll reshare your shares. And if you have a guest or a topic that you would love for us to talk about, please, please head to our socials, let us know. We're dying to hear from you and I can't wait to listen to what you have to say, as well as hope that you continue to listen to us in 2024. So without further ado, today's episode with Nadia is upcoming. I hope you love it. I am so grateful to be here this morning with Nadia Norman. In front of me, I have probably my first real like idol in the fitness industry. And I have this fond memory of you, Nadia, when we were sitting at New Zealand conference and you sitting next to me at the table of the awards dinner and you totally like egging me on. So total women supporter. Thanks for coming on. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to try and live up to that reputation. It's a well-lived up reputation. Now, we kind of know your bio. We we go into it through the intro. So I really want to dive in. I want to dive straight into a couple of questions. And the question that really popped into my mind that I would love to start this conversation with is if you were a blank slate, a new or even an experienced trainer, walking into the world of training women and you wanted to start somewhere, where do we start? <laughs> you need to get upskilled in it immediately. I mean, yeah. obviously I'm going to throw it out and say, do my course. Like <laughs> that's a great entry point into understanding women, but there's there's a plethora of amazing courses out there at the moment. And I think we're in a great time because trainers now do have 
accessibility to these different courses. So in saying that, ignorance is no longer something that you can rely on and say, well, I don't know how to train women because basically that's bullshit now. Like there's so many different courses. So I think that if you are a trainer and you are working with women, which let's be honest, they make up at least 50% of your client base, right? You need to have a fundamental working knowledge of female physiology, specifically how exercise impacts physiology or vice versa, how physiology can impact whether somebody shows up for training or not. So obviously I'm biased towards this. I'm a huge advocate towards understanding female health and performance. And so that's what I would say. Excellent. Yeah, I love it. Agree with you wholeheartedly. Would you be able to define what your thought is or what you believe female health and performance to be? When I was trying to figure out the name of my program, I I purposely moved away from things like women's fitness specialists because it's such a, a broad topic and I was like okay cool look I've been in the industry for 23 years now I've worked with literally thousands of women across that time and there was two key things that I was always really interested in and what I also noticed in my female clients number one was performance so a lot of the clients that I typically worked were your you know c-level women who were in high-level corporate jobs like they had to perform at a particular level within their job context but they also were juggling family life and everything outside of that and actually a lot of them also came from an athletic background so there was that kind of that athletic performance but what they were all saying and what was true for myself as well was we all just wanted to perform at a really high level I think there's this idea that and I certainly notice it now that I've shifted into the world of mummying whereas It's been okay to simply just get through each day. Like that has been normalized. This idea of surviving every day and just getting through it, white knuckling your way through life seemed to be the norm and the okay. And I was like, fuck that. Like we deserve to be able to operate at our best and to operate at a really high level. And that means performing at a high level in all areas of your life, whatever that means to you. So when I was working with my female clients, it was obviously about the workplace and performing well in their jobs. And then it was also about how can they be the best partner, the best mum, like perform to their best every single day. So that was that. And then I was like, you cannot, and I will die on this hill. It doesn't matter what results somebody wants in the gym, whether they want a body composition shift, whether they want to improve their strength, or they want to improve their fitness. It has to be based on a foundation of health. If you do not have health, it's so difficult to achieve those goals. You could, but they're oftentimes short-term, not very sustainable. And so I was like, I want women to experience what it is to have full health, mental, emotional, physical health, like the, the, you know, the whole lot, holistic 360 health, so that they have the ability to perform at their best and just absolutely crush the fuck out of life. And so that really is what female training females is all about for me. Sure, if we get into the nitty gritty, there's all the very important things like understanding female physiology, i.e. understanding female sex hormones, understanding the menstrual cycle, understanding the transition between the reproductive years into perimenopause, into postmenopause, pelvic floor health, pre and postnatal. Like there's all of those things there. And that's why we've got some great specialty courses talking about those things specifically. But I think at the over top of the overarching theme has to be around on improving women's health and performance. I agree. And it's interesting that you made the comments about kind of the clients that you see, because a lot of those, you know, corporate mamas, you want a PT and they kind of do all of the things, right? We see them try 
not, you know, try to do all of the things and be all of the things. And this might be a bit of a, a random question, but what were some of the most common complaints or, or challenges, you know, mentally or physically that you really noticed when you were training, you know, women who, who, are, who are trying to do it all? Great question. And I, I'll just speak to kind of the last part of my in-person experience, but I think this is kind of relative to all the people that I've worked with. Because of the type of person yep. I was working with that were typically A-type personalities, if you want to give them a criteria, extremely driven, ambitious women. And so they wanted to have it all. They wanted to be super fit. They wanted to ha have the career. They wanted to be the best mum. And to that point, they can. I think part of that was coaching them to understand that you can have it all, just not all at once, that there's different seasons whereby there'll have to be give and take in that. But drilling down into the actual PT side of things or being on the gym floor, a lot of them were still caught up in a couple of the very stereotypical mindsets that you're, you're, you're familiar with. The black and white mentality around, I either have to be all in or all out with my fitness. Yeah. They oftentimes used high intensity exercise and high intensity training as a form of punishment to beat themselves into submission, where they kind of felt like, you know, I've had a bad day of eating, you know, I've done this on the weekend, yeah. therefore I need to beat myself into submission this week to kind of make myself more deserving. And the big one, which is kind of what my entire course is based on, is not appreciating the impact that lifestyle stress has on their ability or inability to get results in the gym. So I make a reference yeah. to this as being physiological load. So everything outside, everything that happens outside the gym, sleep management, stress management, relationships, general activity, or, you know, just exercise, adaptive thermogenesis, you know. How many coffees you have in a day, et cetera. Yeah. How many coffees you have in a day. You know, all of that has a direct <laughs> impact on your endocrine system and therefore what happens in the gym. So I spent a lot of time coaching and re-educating women around things like sleep, stress, energy availability, and how to take a compassionate approach towards change as opposed to beating themselves into submission. That message like speaks to me so much, especially when you when you talk about how and it still happens, I think, quite a lot in the industry, how we use exercise as that form of punishment. If we're not training hard, then it's not worth it, you know, that what are we doing kind of thing. And that I think falls into that health aspect that you're talking about is because of the messages that we get about exercise. We feel like basic movement or just gentle movement somehow isn't going to do us any good, but it's like it's the complete opposite, right? Yeah, I think people just don't understand context. A lot of trainers don't understand context as well. Like they don't understand how to put together these yep. beautiful periodized yep. training plans whereby, you know, you are using these different tools available to you, whether it's intensity, volume, and all the different methodologies to get a certain outcome. And I think this is where trainers have to be more specific with their programming skills and coaching their clients to understand that it's not always about going hard and heavy or high intensity, that there is room in a well-balanced, thought-out program to have all of that. There's days for recovery sessions, there's days for low intensity, low loads, and then there's times certainly where you're going to be pushing the threshold and you need to be going hard and heavy. And so it's a case of trainers feeling more confident in their skill set to be able to deliver that information. Because here's the thing, the industry has bit itself, oh, shot itself in the foot in the sense that we've made ourselves as trainers only valuable to other 
people to clients if we're giving people hard, heavy sessions where we make people tired. And so we have to re-educate the people coming in that that's not the case. And then at the same time, there's that re-education piece for clients to help them understand that it's not always about effort or intensity or that it's worth it, that sweat is the only thing (laughs) that makes it worth it, right? So I think we're seeing some improvement, but there's definitely some room to move. Yeah, I mean, I think from my lens as well, you work with trainers, I'm working more in the group exercise realm. For some reason, low intensity or relaxing exercise tends to be Pilates or yoga, which is great. It's fine. But it's also that can also be really intense or really hard, especially for a new mum or not for a new mum, like for anyone. And there are times where you could do a weight session and you can make that gentle. You could make that assistive. And there are times where you can just make that heavy, but not intense, not cardiovascularly (laughs) intense. (laughs) And there's such a huge spectrum that we've got available to us. It's hard sometimes to watch the selectiveness of the industry dive into just one aspect of that. I was just going to say that I think, you know, there needs to be a push towards sustainable fitness. If we want people to stay in the game, if you want a client to stay in your world for not just six months, we're talking years here. You want to build that relationship over time and therefore that does help the bottom line of your business. If we also want people to have long-term changes, then fitness has to be doable, achievable and sustainable for them. And a lot of that, like you said, that selectiveness of a very small piece of the spectrum is what makes people tired, broken and feel like it's just too much effort. Yeah, for sure. I would love to flip it a little bit. So we've talked about kind of where we want to see change. What are you really happy about in terms of women's health or women's kind of the the advocacy for women's health at the moment? I just love the exposure. I love that it's Well, certainly through my lens, because I'm in it all day, every day. So I'm seeing on social media more exposure of conversations, people having conversations about all aspects of female health that we wouldn't ordinarily have talked about, menstrual cycles, perimenopause, menopause, all that sort of stuff. So I think that's really cool. I do think that with anything in the industry, sometimes when something comes in, we kind of get on a pendulum and we swing far too off to one side. I do feel yeah. like we're a little bit there at the moment in the fi- in the sense that so many non-qualified people are jumping on the woman's health bandwagon and are saying things and putting things out there into the world which aren't necessarily helpful. So the pendulum I think will swing back. But I think this is a great first step. We need this and it's only going to accelerate, I hope, as we see more interest in female research. I think as more females get into doing research, we're going to see more information about exercise science and how that's relative to the fitness industry. And then, of course, I mean, I have to somehow do a segue and and talk about female sport of late, just with this exposure (laughs) of female sport. Oh, my God, that last match of the, you know. the So great. Matildas. The Matildas. It was insane, right? But, you know, just the fact that now there is exposure where we are seeing examples of what female athletes can do and people are now interested in that. So I just love that female health is having a moment, but I don't want it to be a trend. I want this moment to be something that continues on and makes a a, a really impactful change within the fitness space. Yeah. I like your reference to calling it sustainable 
you know, you know, it sounds like a bit of like a buzzword, but I'm wholeheartedly a greenie. I love sustainable, like everything. So yeah, you calling it that is a really great reference. I think it's really cool. Cool. Yeah. Now, before I dive into a little science and a little bit of controversy, I actually wanted to ask you about, so if we've got, you know, female trainers or female fitness enthusiasts on here, like we know that a majority of people checking into what you say and to what we're going to be saying today will be females. How do we get the men listening to these conversations, particularly the trainers, particularly oh the ones who we know will be working with women? What do you want to say to them? Dude, it's like, <laughs> okay, I've put hundreds of trainers through my course. I can count on one hand the number of males that have come into this course and all of those males are exceptionally business savvy switched on coaches like not only do they understand how important it is for them from a client relationship rapport connection standpoint their business brains were like this is a no-brainer absolutely no-brainer if I'm working like half you know three half to three quarters of my clientele are women I need to understand what makes these women tick and so I can get the best results for them so they've got increased retention so that then they refer me out so therefore I'm in the game for a lot longer like that's exactly what they said to me when they came into the course so for any male who is listening, I don't know if it's a scary topic. I don't know if it's a foreign thing that you just don't want to touch it and start talking about vaginas and vulvas and menstrual cycles and everything else that comes with it. But I will appeal to their business brain. I will appeal to that client PT relationship connection. Right? If you've got clients, if most of your business is built on, let's just say, endurance athletes, for some reason, all of a sudden you're getting tons of people coming in and saying, I want to train for marathons. The first thing you're going to do is learn how to coach people for marathons, right? And so to me, or, you know, you've got all these people coming in saying, I want to get on stage and compete. You're not going to wing it. You're going to go away and learn how do you get people on stage to compete? The same thing goes for women. If you're working with women, learn how to work with women, full stop, period. I appreciate that answer. Thank you. I also wanted to add in with that answer is, for a lot of the men out there, like you have women in your lives, sisters, mothers, like, I don't know, just people generally. And like, I can't tell you how empowering, how positive, how supported I feel by my partner who looks into things like remedies for endometriosis, PCOS, why I get pain, how I can help my female health and who actually will listen to podcasts. Oh, I've listened to this great podcast with this female health expert. You should listen to it. Like who pushes me into listening and into broadening my horizons and, and, you know, vice versa. It's that supportive kind of, you know, environment that we have. And I would just love to see more of that with what we do. I agree. I mean, I don't, I think Jen talks, Jen Duga talks about this, but female health shouldn't be a specialty area. Yeah. It should just be something we learn. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like yes. I just, it does blow my mind. But I mean, admittedly, I didn't know any of this stuff for the first two thirds of my entire career. Like I really didn't start learning about this until I like maybe 12, 15 years ago. The majority of my career from when I was a young age was spent not knowing this, being totally in, ignorant and making a ton of mistakes, which weren't intentional, but did have some pretty far reaching consequences on people. And I accidentally probably did make some bad decisions around programming for my female clients. So I think if the important thing to understand is if you're listening to this and going, well, I actually don't know anything, not to feel bad about it at all, right? This is not here to make people feel bad that they don't know stuff. 
I think this is a conversation and an invitation that if this has piqued your interest, then go, okay, cool. Okay, now what? How can I keep going down to this this rabbit hole and how can I evolve and learn more? And it's like you said, it's evolving and it's there's so much more information that we have now than we did 10, 15 years ago. So the access to that kind of level of information that we need to create those specialized programs and have that deeper understanding is so much more available. And yeah, I'm really happy for it. Let's go into some of the ones that I think I know they're a bit closer to your heart, but, and they're a bit close to my heart as well. At the moment, it seems that every second woman I talk to has some kind of specifically related female health problem in terms of endometriosis, PCOS, PMDD, all of the above, all three, one, anything like that. Would you be able to maybe give us like a small snapshot of what they are physiologically and, you know, just like maybe how would you start even just the reassurance side of things with with PTs and their clients, let alone the the physiological side because we want them to do your course, we want them to train up in it. There's a whole, like we could be here for days talking about that. But like what are they and where do you start? Okay, so first off, I'm not an endocrinologist. I'm not a medically trained professional. So I want to be very clear that fitness professionals need to stay in their lane and not to be diving into conversations or topics that are beyond that. So I will happily speak to that very quickly, but I won't give you an in-depth answer to actually what everything is because everything I like to teach my fitness professionals has to come through the lane and through the, the idea of staying in our scope of practice. So I get this question all the time, like, what can we do? First and foremost, as a fit pro, anyone working with women, always refer out. If in doubt, refer out and make sure that you've got a fantastic A-team in your system. So when I mean A-team, I mean a team of allied health professionals that you are working with. It is not your job to diagnose or to make comments on any of this sort of stuff for clients. Okay, so that was my disclaimer. Now. Again, I'm not the expert. Here's what I know. So endometriosis, I know, well, okay, take a step back. My understanding is the inflammatory response where there's additional connective tissue that grows outside the uterus and it can cause a lot of pain and often goes undiagnosed for many, many women. A lot of women will suffer in silence because they've either been written off or It's gone on for so long that they've normalized it or they end up thinking that it's all in their head. And I can speak to that too of people who have PCOS or any of those kind of pain, chronic pain conditions. I think women are amazing because they can tolerate so much pain and they can tolerate having this and they just get on with life. Yeah. So there's a very brief answer to what endometriosis, but it's really interesting to see that link between it being more of an inflammatory issue at the moment, which I think is really interesting. PCOS, I think you mentioned, was a, is polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is one in eight women worldwide suffer from some degree of PCOS. PCOS is like an endocrine metabolic issue, not necessarily just a reproductive issue. So it does impact women well beyond their reproductive years. But the two key hallmarks there are elevated male sex hormones like testosterone and insulin insensitivity. So that's where that obesity and that metabolic connection comes into play. And it's also one of the leading causes of infertility in women. So when I talk to trainers about PCOS, again, like because it's an immunologic, endocrinologic, metabolic condition, right? You're going to have to be working with lots of different 
that's so hard to say that. You have to be working with lots of different people to try and come up with the best approach for your female clients there. And again, I would be referring out and working closely with those practitioners. And then PMDD, I can never say this word, so I'm just not going to say it. <laughs> you can just add it in. When you get me saying things like, you know, eumenorrhea and like all of the keywords that I have to say all the time, I'm just like, this is, I guess, I don't know the mechanism behind this, but this is what we considered excessive, excessive PMS dysfunctional style pain associated with the menstrual cycle. But I can't comment beyond that. Yeah, yeah no, that's totally fair. I think the common theme that can appear between these three syndromes, apart from the fact that they can actually be, like you said, one could be metabolic, one could be inflammatory. You can actually have a completely different pathway for that mechanism to be triggered in, in a female. But the, the relative common symptom through all of them is pain. What happens when there is chronic pain in female clients? Man, now you just open up the whole conversation about this biosocial cycle. See, this is another term I can't say. Biopsychosocial model of pain. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all my tongue twisters today. Making you work hard. I think anytime you're dealing with chronic pain, you're entering into different territory because it's no longer just about the mechanism for the pain or the site of the pain. Now you're entering into self-esteem and their worthiness or how they identify themselves with or you know a lot of let's just drill down to female health I'll talk specifically to PCOS because I know I can I've somebody who's recovered from PCOS this has also been my journey so I can speak from my experience but you just get accustomed to the pain you write it off you put up with it you almost give up on going to doctors because they tell you that it's all on your head or that there's nothing wrong and yet you know that there is and I think a lot of women start to shut down their intuition around their own bodies and I feel like in a pain journey other than getting the help medical help and getting like the the mechanical help that's needed healing is oftentimes a journey back to trusting your own body again like I think women get Women are kind of trained to no longer trust what their body or trust their intuition. And so there's a disconnection between their head and their bodies. But I think as soon as they start to trust themselves and become the experts in their own bodies again, as soon as they start, you know, improving that skill set of autonomy, then they can start making some progress in their healings because they're like, no, 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 let me tell you, that's not right. This pain isn't normal or I shouldn't be having this. This isn't what I want to be experiencing. So there's that element of it. And then there's that trusting around, well, what can you do practically in training? Like, how do I modify my training, you know, around my menstrual cycle if I'm experiencing like tons of PMS pain right now? Like, what do I do there? Or how do I articulate this to my trainer who might not necessarily know anything about this? Like, how do I communicate that to him? I mean, look, there's so much more to this because you're going back to that model. I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to attempt to say it. You know, this has <laughs> biopsychosocial. <laughs> Thank you, biopsychosocial. You know, it has a far-reaching impact beyond here. Right, this can affect how you show up socially. This can impact your finances if you're spending a lot of money on on medications or trying to seek help. There's that impact. This can impact um, relationships, intimate and friend relationships. Like it's just it's all-consuming. I think for some people. Yeah, I mean, I see it firsthand. Uh, my sister has very severe endometriosis and the gaslighting that she had received from the medical profession in, in terms of, of just not listening or dealing with that pain. And I think that as 
you know, like you said, we're not medical professionals, which in a way is kind of good because what that does is it helps you listen to your clients. And at the end of the day, if you're just listening to them and giving them an acknowledgement that their pain is real and their pain is valid and they're allowed to feel it and they're allowed to feel shitty and bloated and yuck, that goes such a long way, doesn't it? Hugely. And I think this is where trainers need to, I feel like I'm being quite spicy today with trainers. <laughs> I'm not. I love trainers. I think you guys do a remarkable job. And I know there's so many moving parts to being a successful trainer, but coaching skills, that's a few soft skills, if you like. I wish more trainers put emphasis on that because at the end of the day, yes, absolutely. Program design is important. We need that to get them moving towards results. And how can we optimize their experience with us? How can we make them feel safe? How can we how can we give them the tools to improve their autonomy so they are making better choices for themselves within the gym setting or, you know, with their nutrition, their sleep, their lifestyle or whatever. And I think we are in a very privileged position to be able to create those spaces and environments for our female clients. So circling back to that word you said, validated. Oh my God, I think people just need and want to be seen. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you just want to be able to rock up to a session and go, mate, my period's due tomorrow. I don't have it. And that trainer to go, I got you. Let's do this instead. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's so simple. <laughs> it is. And I just would like to see and hear those kind of conversations happening a bit more. Yeah. And I think that, you know, even set aside the female health aspect of it, which is what we're talking about today, but having that space for any client to say that any stage and us being adaptable enough to deal with it. Because like you said, biocycle, now you've given me, you've given it to me. <laughs> That's your curse. Biopsychosocially, shit happens and people aren't going to come to you at their best. In, in fact, if you give them that safe space, they often come to you when they're feeling shit, when they would often cancel on someone else who wouldn't give them the time of the day, who's going to listen, who's going to adapt their session, who, who will take into consideration all the shit in their life. And you can actually make that so much better for them. 100%. And I, I think as trainers, right, we're dancing a couple of lines here. So we have to keep our commercial hat on because we need a business to be able to help more, help and serve more people. We also have like a coaching role that we play besides all the business roles, the marketing roles and everything. So I get that there is a lot to be managing within our profession. But all of that aside, if you can just build great relationships and create those spaces where conversations are okay and normalize, I think, you know, you'll go a long way because at the end of the day, there's a lot of people out there who actually really don't care about the training piece, like what you just said. They just need to know that they can show up and be okay somewhere. And here's the other thing. If people are rocking up to your sessions and they've had a shitty day or they haven't slept or they haven't eaten that well, let's just high five the fact that they have still shown up. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Again, we have got such a privileged job. I love the fact that we get to do this for other people. It's such a good message to remember because we do, we can take it for granted. We can get frustrated when clients cancel or they complain or whatever, but you're right. You know, we, we're, most of us do it because we love it and because we want to see people get better. And it's awesome that we have this space to be able to do that. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. 
I'm going to dive into a couple more questions. I want to finish with one big one, but do you have any like resources or books that were like pretty game changing for you or you think that are kind of like a really good essential for every trainer to kind of have on their shelf and, and flick back through? Yes. Any book, not even female health related yet. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Look, I think that all trainers need to have Lara Bryden's two books, which is the Hormone Repair Manual and the Period Repair Manual or something like that. Like Lara Bryden's amazing. The Woman's Book by Dr. Sarah Mackay. So she is a neuroscientist out of Sydney and she lectures, but she wrote this epic book on just understanding what happens to the female brain across the ages. So I think just having an understanding of like, oh, there's some actual physical legit changes happening. It makes you go, okay, okay, cool. That's really cool. So it's something to be mindful of. So I really like, those are always my go-to for female health. And then there's obviously some textbooks that I'm a big fan of. I don't even know where to start with some other books because I love to read and I have a gazillion books. <laughs> so let's just That's start awesome. with those three. I think they're good. That's a good place for us to start. And it's a nice little compact one for the show notes, which is really cool. Excellent. I want to talk about your course, but I also want to talk about, I've seen it over the years. I've seen it evolve. How did it start and, and how has it evolved and, and what do you want to bring trainers? How it started was really interesting. I think it was 2017. I actually wrote it when we were honeymooning and living in Cambodia. So I wrote it on the fly over there, which is kind of cool and crazy. But up to that point in time, as I was winding down my in-person business, I had already been making the transition to more specific female health. Now, I'll just take a little step back even further. In 2009, I had a complete health crisis. So as a personal trainer who was running a rammed business, a health crisis is really inconvenient. So I wasn't able to get up in the mornings. I couldn't train. I was really teary all the time. Well, I had a haphazard menstrual cycle. And this was just as a result of many years of probably choosing the wrong kind of behaviors for my body. And... Interestingly, I met a functional GP who was doing the Cert 4 that I was teaching through PTA, Personal Training Academy, right? And this woman was insanely smart, amazing. And I said to her, why are you here doing your Cert 4? You are a medically trained professional from the London School of Medicine. And she was like, because I'm getting so many women who are presenting with XYZ who have all said they've been to see a trainer. I want to see what's happening and what's been taught at that end to see if I can help these women before they even get to the point where they got to. And I was like, this is insane. As it turned out, she lived three houses down from me. And so her and I just kind of built this relationship where I was like, here's what's happening with me. My adrenals are all over the shop. I'm struggling. My thyroid's not functioning very well. And so we went down a health journey together. And the question I said to her was, what do you wish all fitness professionals knew about working with women? And she was like, this stuff. <laughs> so she kind of told me what it was. And I was like, well, that's the stuff I talk about. But I just didn't understand at that point in time how important it actually was. So that's what got me going down that route. And of course, I started changing my approach with a lot of my female clients and things started to really shift and improve for them. And a big focal point was drilling down on understanding, you know, insulin, metabolism, the impact that stress has on everything and lifestyle factors and so forth. So I was like, huh, I found this really helpful and useful. I wonder if trainers would. So I just kind of threw it out there and said, hey, I'm going to do this thing. Who's interested? And it was a sellout. And I sold out my first course before I'd even actually launched it, which was pretty amazing and incredible. Now, when I did launch it, 
I was very aware that there were other people doing stuff around female health, but they weren't trainers. I wanted to write something for trainers by a trainer. Like I know my scope of practice. I know what we can do. I also know the challenges that exist within running a personal training business. So I wanted to create something that trainers could actually take and go, oh, I'm within scope to talk about this. I'm within scope to use this. I wanted to give them practical tools that can improve their relationship immediately. And so that was five years ago and it's gone through multiple iterations. And yeah, I'm really happy and pleased with where it's currently at right now. I think with the new science that's come in, it's a lot more robust. But there's one thing I will say. When I first started, I was all for women should train with around the menstrual cycle, like periodize your training around the menstrual cycle. Like that was probably my message for the first little bit. Cause I was like, yeah, this is it. This is what you need to do. I've changed my mind completely on that. So even within the last five years, like there's been lots of things that I've changed my mind on in terms of what I've been teaching based on the current science that I've got access to. That's a nice big controversial one just to leave right there. (laughs) But I'm totally happy for that because I love controversy and I think that that's excellent. Yeah, it's cool. I am a big advocate of your course. I send lots of people your way. If you want to get a really good overview, starting point, jumping off point where you get tons of science delivered in a very digestible and easy way to understand, then my course is there. I'm not going to claim that my course is the only course that you should be doing. There are far smarter people out there doing far smarter things than I am, but I like to consider this, you're a trainer, you need to know stuff about women, here's stuff to know. I like, that's kind of where I sit. Yeah. And it's cool that I think as an industry that collaboration, that sharing of everyone else's stuff as well. We're not against each other. We're, we're all here to help you. And and I think I resonate a lot with your message because you're straight down the line. You're you. You're like you're authentically you all the time. And, and that makes me really happy. And I love that message from you. So if you are listening, check into the show notes. We've got links to all of Nadia's pages, her courses, all of her information. So don't worry about that. Last question for you. If you could change one thing in the fitness industry right now, like rainbow, no consequences, what would it be? The thing that just landed and came down immediately, so I'm going to go with it now, is I wish it wasn't still so elitist. I feel like, and this is tied up to this whole fitness hustle culture that has been created, and there's a bit of a division in the industry between, oh, you do Pilates and stuff over here, and you know, and then you've got functional training over here, and then we've got hard out over here, and I'm like, mate, it's just all part of a bigger picture. But by doing this, we're creating elitism, and here's the truth. We still have 80% of general population that do not meet their weekly baseline exercise requirements. Why? So I wish that we were able to make it more accessible for people to enter in and get a piece of what we do and understand that not everyone out there loves to move or loves to sweat in the same way that us fit pros do. Like we're strange creatures. We love that shit. People out there, they don't. And it's hard and they have a life and their, their identity is not wrapped up in movement. So I just wish that we would drop the elitism, drop the fitness hustle culture and make it easier for people to get in and experience what we get to experience. Because at the end of the day, your health is wealth, full stop. I'm totally on board for that message. I absolutely love that. Yeah, honestly, everything that you do, I've always followed with very great interest. I thank you so much. I'm going to throw it out to you. Do you have any last things that you want to give any advice on or you want to comment on for anyone who's listening out there right now? I'm going to speak to the trainers who perhaps are feeling a little bit down, a little bit unsure, like, you know, they're coming out of this post-COVID haze. 
right now, perhaps are questioning their worth or what they do in the industry. I just want to leave those this with you guys. Don't give up. Like things will get better. People need our help. And now than ever before, we've got this mental health crisis. We've got this movement crisis. People need us. And so look, I know times are hard, but you've just got to stick with it. Incredible message. That's awesome. That's the highlight of the message there for me. And <laughs> I agree. There's you know, no one coming through to become a PT at the moment. It, it feels scary for the, you know, the veterans who've been here for a little while. We want the king beans, people who are really interested in coming back in and putting their hands up to do things, to learn. So go back into courses, learn things. Don't give up. I agree. Yes. Do the things, invest. Nadia, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. I love everything that you do. And I can't wait to have you back on here as a guest again. Thank you. We are so grateful for your support and for tuning in to our podcast. We know that many of you have friends or colleagues who would also benefit from our content and we would be honored if you could share our podcast with them. Sharing on social media, email, or even talking about us to a colleague is such a huge help in getting our message out there. We truly appreciate your support and we can't wait to continue to grow and connect with more people through our podcast.